This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Before we jump in today, I want to tell you about New York Times Audio, a new iOS app for the New York Times, all access and news subscribers. It's got our show, plus all the other podcasts from The Athletic, exclusive shows, narrated articles, and more. New York Times Audio. Download it now at nytimes.com slash audio app. Joining me today, it is my good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I... That was like a change-up for me. Uh, it's was a change-up for me, too, man. I, I, am, I, I am the most inflexible person of all time when it comes to this stuff. So it, it's we're, we're really starting off with the bang today. But you should absolutely go check out the New York Times audio app. You absolutely should. No, it was a – I'm so used to like there's that flow. It was like, you know, like an alley-oop. Like I know when to jump. I know when to jump and dunk it on home. Usually I miss with the intros because I take so long on them. But that one like threw me off. I was already in the air and the ball hadn't been released yet. So I was still waiting on it. But overall, doing fantastic. Another great show. I- I'm excited for this. Also, I'm wearing my like new de facto podcasting outfit, which is oh, a yeah. Nike Nike yoga sweatshirt, which is incredibly comfortable oh, that we are amazing. not sponsored by it but yes i use nike now for their yoga brand and their skateboarding brand and because that is my style i'm a dude from minnesota that acts like he's from uh, southern california that's that's what i like to go for these days so yeah that's this is this is my new uh you'll see it whenever we do videos again we do the live shows you'll see the sweatshirt a lot coming up a lot on those shows i try to not be so comfortable because then i get sleepy so I feel like if I actually get dressed, I'm a little bit more alert when we're doing like these that. shows and I feel like I'm at work rather than wearing something super comfortable and just kind of sitting back into my chair and slowly fading into the abyss rather than being the, right here, ready to go. Stand up desk for podcasting and podcasting only just to get the stand up desk for that. I probably posture. should get the stand up desk. My, I'm, my posture and everything else is an absolute mess. I went to a concert on Tuesday and. I was standing the whole time because we were in like the GA access and it was the, one of the first times in my life where I've looked back at people in the seats and been like, oh man, that looks real <laughs> yeah, nice that right age. now. I kind of <laughs> wish I had a chance to sit down right now. I, I went to a concert on Tuesday night. We're recording this on Thursday. I'm going to another one tonight. Two shows in three nights. I'm a 35-year-old man. I don't have it anymore. I guess it's, what, though, you get the tonight, NBA. Uh, it's yeah. tonight I'm going to see the National tonight. It's like that. There's going to oh, be a so bunch of 40-year-old like dads. You're good. But guess what? I got a seat tonight, and I am pumped about it. I am kind of pissed off that the two shows that I decided to go to were on games one and two of the Western Conference Finals. But it is what it is. And also, uh, but speaking of NBA, it's like you basically have load management for your concert, right. your concert, right. <laughs> your concert experiences. Do you have to take a day off in Coachella? Do you go? Is there three days of Coachella? I don't there, even know, there are three days of Coachella. Do you go one and uh, three? Do, and you do you skip two? There, but there's a lot of sitting at Coachella. There's a lot of sitting in the that's shade uh, when Festival. possible. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's all about knowing when to go and when to slow yes. down over those yes. the course of those three days, but. Uh, tonight there will be a lot of sitting as well. Even if there's people around me standing, I'm like, you, you guys are good. Like this is the dad rock that I need in my life right now. All right. So today we're going to do a show about new defensive coordinators around the NFL. And I want to put some caveats with this very quickly. These are new defensive coordinators on otherwise intact staffs. So these are not new coaching staffs. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about new staffs. We've already talked about a lot of the new coaches already. You know, we've spent a, a lot of oxygen and time on the new coaching staffs, the new head coaches, the new regimes. But I think a lot of these guys specifically kind of got lost in the shuffle. These teams that switched out a coordinator on one side of the ball because when they're doing it, we're just after the Super Bowl, or we're in the midst of the playoffs. And so it's hard to kind of hit all of these. There are five teams that switched out their defensive coordinator, but their head coach is the same. And those are the teams that we're going to talk about today. We are going to spend a ton of time on the offensive coordinators and offensive play callers as we get a little bit closer oh, yeah. to the season. You know, that's something we do as a preview show every single year. This year, I think we got like 10 more of them again, if you include head play calling head coaches. So mm-hmm. we're going to save that for probably July or August, but we wanted to hit these just because we didn't get a, a chance to spend a lot of time on Brian Flores going to the Vikings in the moment when it happened. And now that things have kind of died down, we're post-draft. I think it's a worthwhile time to revisit some of this stuff. Yeah, the new head coaches always gets the headlines and GMs. I should say that too. And then, then there's the occasional, but you get the big 
Kellen Moore move. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. yes. but then yes. again, but the other ones, it's going to be, it's offense centric league by design. And I think that's the, how our natural attention goes to it. And it's a lot kind of easier and more fun to talk about offense in that regard. Uh, no offense to defensive coaches and defensive side of the ball. Deontay's going to come after you. Oh, so bad. But yeah, I'll never change. That's an offensive guy at heart. Uh, deciding whether I'm an offensive line or a skill guy guy at heart is what I'm still that's what I'm torn between but I know for sure I'm offensive side no need to re-legislate that right now <laughs> um, but yeah this is I've gotten this was so fun. much feedback about that show by the way so I, much somebody with a team today was telling me that they were sitting there listening to it in the office and they're like man they're really going at it <laughs> <laughs> frothing it, it was good it was good it was like just need to reset it just get out of our systems we'll, fi- we'll find some more for, of that we'll, we'll find our p- bits and pieces that we can do that but the uh the defensive side was uh, I, I like this i think when we also broke down how many offensive changes there are for play callers and everything we're like oh that's a lot yeah we gotta uh, okay yeah we got, later. We, we got we gotta figure out uh, how to piece this together but i actually think focusing just on the defensive side is really good because then also there's a couple of these teams that actually the changes they're making are opposite of each other and i'll talk about that in a second there's one that be, flows into the other very easily that i think it's gonna nice. be really fun to discuss but yeah so i, I this is all of these, I think, and one of the reasons that I wanted to do it this specifically, where it was just switching out the defensive coordinators for otherwise intact staffs and head coaches, is that the motivation behind this is part of what makes it interesting. Like, why did these teams feel like they needed to make a change? And how were these changes reflective of that motivation or urgency? The first one that I wanted to talk about was Ryan Nielsen going to the Falcons. Okay. This one's a little bit different because Dean Pease retired. You know, yeah. Dean Pease was done. He was out of the league when Arthur Smith brought him along to Atlanta. And, you know, we've seen this a lot where you have the first time head coach who is the offensive play caller and they say, you know what? Just give me a guy who can handle the other side of the ball. We saw it with Sean McVay bringing in Wade Phillips. I think this is very similar to that. And there's sometimes, you know, Matt Nagy kept Vic Fangio in Chicago. So there's a lot of instances where I just want to handle my business right now. We'll figure out what we really need to do a little bit later on. I think this converges very conveniently for the Falcons where Dean Pease was retiring, but they probably needed a little bit of a shift on defense. And they got it. By trying to tap into, at least in my estimation, a little bit of that juice that the Saints have put together over the last couple of years. And this really is the first time someone's tried to do that. Where let's try to steal a little bit of that magic fairy dust that they have down there in New Orleans under Dennis Allen that has really served the Saints well over the last several years. Ryan Nielsen was the defensive line coach from 2017 to 2020. And then the assistant head coach and co-defensive coordinator essentially over the last couple of years. And one of those defenses, it's kind of when you look at all the underlying stats and you watch them, you're like, they're good. Yeah. And they and they have been when Dennis Allen's been there the last few years. They really have. And just a defense. This is a stat I came across today. Why would you want to copy the Saints defense? Well, also one thing, and Dante actually had a great uh, points about this last year. Was that they, you know, they rush for, they're more, they're, some of their coverages are a, a little bit different based on how they kind of go about their match coverages and zone coverages, just a little. Um, but also just being able to rush for, run simulated pressures, it's translatable. It's not as funky or as unique as some other defenses. There is a lot of, you know, sameness throughout offense and defensive schemes throughout the league in the NFL. It's copycat league, yada, yada. But there's one that I can go, I could run that with a lot of different types of personnel and different teams. Uh, but the Saints defense last year, they only allowed explosive plays on 8.27% of their snaps. And that's that's the eighth lowest, tied for eighth lowest since 2012 with the 2018 Bears with Vic Fangio. Um, lowest since 2019. And why I'm speaking of explosive play rates, that's something that I'm sure Falcons fans will be really happy to hear that maybe we can stop this. <laughs> maybe we can stop these gash plays that keep happening because Dean Peace was such an aggressive play caller. Um, but I, I think this is, I, I like the choice. Like, I, I think this is a, it wasn't a name that kind of was cropping up. I was like, oh, this is a hot young defensive coordinator name that you might want to keep an eye on. No offense to Ryan Nielsen. I'm just saying. Oh, Dennis Allen to- would have t- said differently than that. If Did you he? listen to what Dennis Allen had said in previous interviews, he was expecting to lose him somewhere along the way because of how yeah. good of coach he was. And That's guess awesome. what? He lost one. Yeah, he did, right. I mean, they're, they're such a well-coached unit. That's what's fun about the Saints, and you hopefully you can get part of that, some of the brain brain power behind that. So I I like this. I like this move. I think this is a uh, Arthur Smith knows ball move. They played him twice, you know, so I'm sure he's like, oh, man, this, this shit's tough to go again. So he's like, I want some of that. 
just like teams did for years and years with the Seahawks defense. They're just like, I, I want some of that. And then they realized, oh, you don't have Bobby Wagner, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman, Michael Bennett. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> this, I think, is a little bit more translatable. So I like it. Explain a little bit more about how some nuances and some of the ways they go about those zone coverages or, or, or match yeah. coverages, because I'm going to forget if I don't ask you about it right now. Uh, too high based and four down based as opposed to a odd or three down based defense. I think that's really the one difference that you can focus on with this. Big time. I mean, the Falcons ran a ton of simulated, some simulated pressures. And so that is a carryover. Even some of like the splits on early on third down. Like the fa- they the man coverage rates are not that different on third it's not down. That crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. So there aren't that many huge departures, but so that four man front thing is, I think, probably the biggest difference. But that's the keep going. Part. Oh yeah, but I think, but that's where it starts, and so you need maybe a different body type up front that can kind of handle the well, more, more of a traditional front type of guys uh, and four down. When you speak to that gap shooting type, that's why they brought Onimata over. That makes a lot of sense, especially pairing him with Grady Jarrett. So that shoring up the interior. Also, um, I think it's interesting you you mentioned that the simulated pressures they were both high. Uh, had high rate of that. The Falcons did and the Saints did. The Falcons brought the second most simulated pressures over the last two years, only behind the Broncos. Um, and the, uh, the Saints were in the top 10. So it's still like, okay, there's not going to be that creative, uh, crazy of a difference. And that's where I think Caden Ellis, who also followed from the Saints to the Falcons, will be a big component of that. He did it quite a bit. He finished last year with seven sacks. He rushed the passer on 16% of his snaps. Those were from the simulated pressures. So you'll see that. Um, while I do think the blitz rate overall will go down from the crazy amount Dean Peace has done in the past, Dennis Allen has kind of fluctuated that. And I yeah. know this isn't Dennis Allen. Dennis Allen, to me, when my first knowledge of Dennis Allen was like, oh, he's like Greg Williams light. Mm-hmm. And if anyone knows Greg Williams, it's freaking crazy blitzes and too high inverted stuff everywhere. And he's almost become more sound and balance of a defensive play caller the last couple of years, maybe because he has a better defensive front. Uh, so I, I think there's going to be a lot that translates over there. And I, I, I like this. I, I want to see it. Like, I, I don't know much about Ryan Nielsen other than his name is probably of a, uh, Danish or Norwegian descent because it ends with an E-N instead of an O-N, which is as someone from Minnesota. I know my Scandinavian, Scandinavian uh, name uh, origins. So, uh, But yeah, I, I, I think this was going to be interesting, and I think it's something that's needed. The Falcons defense still needs a lot of help over the next couple of years, but I do think they'll improve this year. They have A.J. Terrell, which will be a nice piece on the outside. So might be, have some growing pains, but I think this is a good, uh, good growing pain. So like working out a muscle. Just like, just asking people about it, you know. And I think this is going to come up on a couple different teams that we're talking about. This is more about like culture and fit and personality yeah. than it is about wanting a specific scheme. And if you look at the way the Falcons are built on offense, they want to punch you in the mouth, yep. right? Like they have this physical way that they go about their business, and they kind of want to overpower you. And think about how big their receivers are. I think about the way that they've been built along the offensive line. And that's what the Saints defense is like. The Saints defense yeah. was a bully unit. Yes. Right? So you think about the way that not only the offense, the defensive line is built, and I think those body type changes are really important notice so we can talk about that. But the amount of man coverage the Saints played on early downs and just how physical they were in some of those situations. Last year, they played 31.9% man on early downs. That was the fourth highest rate in the league. The Falcons were at 21.8%. So it's 10 percentage point jump. That was 21st in the NFL. Again, on third down, it was pretty similar. But on early downs, they were in your face. We are going to push you around. Think about just what C.J. Gardner-Johnson was within the culture of Mm -hmm. that Saints defense over the last few years. And I think that's what Arthur Smith wants his defense to feel like, the same way his offense can feel like that. So I think it was kind of a merging of personalities and Brian Nielsen fitting into the culture they want to build and what that team wants to be more than saying, I need this offense defensive system, which I think is going to come up a couple different times in this conversation. And you see, sometimes you wonder like, okay, are they, how much of the scheme are they going to carry over? Right. From is how much is he really going to bring from New Orleans? Right. But you pick up the breadcrumbs with the personnel choices that they've made this off season. They literally grabbed David Onyemata yeah. to kind of transform the defensive line. And then you look at the defensive ends that they've added. The smallest full-time pass rusher that the Saints had last season on the edge was Carl Granderson, who's 6'5", 260. Okay? Yeah. He was the smallest one. The guys they've added this offseason on the edge, Calais Campbell, yeah, who's 6'7", six, six, 290 pounds, yeah. Bud Dupree, who's 6'4", 270, yeah. and Zach Harrison in the third round, who's 6'5", 272. Those are the bodies that they added this offseason. The guys who were rushing the passer on the edge for the Falcons last year, Lorenzo Carter, 
who weighs 256 <laughs> pounds, and Arnold Demichetti, who weighs 252 pounds. So yeah. they, I think, are consciously moving to a different sort of body type up front because they want to be a different sort of team. Yeah. On the second level, they literally drop Caden Ellison. So you have this guy who's a really good pass rusher. They drafted Troy Anderson last year. Yep. He blitzed a lot. So you good have a athlete. lot of juice and athleticism yep. on the second level, guys that are going to blitz. One guy from Idaho, one from Montana State. Really, really tapping yeah, into those That's big exactly where you go to find yeah, speed, yeah, right? Yeah. But it makes sense. But look at Pete Warner and Davis and yeah. Demario Davis. Yep. It makes sense. Get some guys that can – we're going to bring you on similar pressures. You better win. So let's get some guys that can do that. And I think that having Jesse Bates come in and we having yes. this guy in the back of your defense that – can play it, just do a bunch of different stuff, right? And that's what the Saints used to do. The Saints ran a bunch of different coverages, and they can play a little bit of man, but they do a lot of different things. And then they try to piece that other corner spot together with Okuda and Mike Hughes. And they Clark Phillips potentially slots in as the nickel. Like this team, if this if it clicks into place, I think they can be a solid defense, like a pretty solid unit. Feisty, yeah. They're and feisty. if they're average, and the offense takes a step, like this yeah. team, I think can fight to win the division. I think and- that's exactly what they're trying to do. And what's funny is like offense takes a step. They're like a 10th, 12th best offense last year in all the metrics. So it's like a step is like top seven ish yeah. offense and a 18th best defense. That's maybe we got Stu going. That, I mean, but that's that's when you look at this team, uh, I like that you're bringing up the identity, especially on both sides of the ball. They're going to be tough. They're going to be well-coached and sound. If I looked at the Saints yes. defense and the Falcons offense. Fundamentals. The most- that was another yes. word that came up when I was asking people about I it. I like that. I like that. That's Because they're going to punish teams that aren't sound. That's what the Falcons offense does. If It's nothing crazy. It's a great, great point. It's a great yeah. point. Anyone that's not sound, both sides of the ball are going to punish. Jesse Bates is going to pick you off. He's going to like they're going to punish their offensive line pass protection is not good, and or can't pick up these simulateds, or the quarterback is getting like spooked off of something. They're going to punish that. So it makes a lot of sense. Like it's one of those that's like Ryan Nielsen. Okay, I don't know much about you, but then it's like if you could be what the Saints are and translate a little bit of this. Okay, I like this idea. I like what you brought up too about the size of the defensive line pushers, pocket mm-hmm. pushers at the physicality. Ass kickers is yeah. how we've described the Saints defense over the last f- couple of years, and that's what they're trying to translate. So I like this. I think it's a very, very interesting fit and one that I, I as I've learned more about it, I've really come around to that I was like, this this could be cool. This could be cool in Atlanta. Although, for the most part, there hasn't been that many changes on the staff. Like, there's been some shuffling on the defensive staff, but like they brought an offensive assistant over to be the secondary coach. They don't have a new defensive line coach because I assume he's going to coach the defensive line. The one notable addition that I would throw out there, they hired Jerry Gray to be their assistant head coach on defense. And Jerry was, I believe, the passing game coordinator or and the secondary coach for the Packers for the last two years. And then he was the cornerbacks coach, I think, in Minnesota for several years before that. So he's a long-time NFL assistant on the back end. DB guy to pair with a defensive line coordinator. And a guy Ah. who's had been in decision-making roles, has been a high-ranking assistant. So again, I think if you're trying to give someone a little bit more experience to a guy who now is in his first year as a defensive coordinator, you like that. So I I think that was the other notable guy that they brought in on that side of the ball. It's it's just they just keep doing these sound things. I'm like, yeah, Yeah. like this, this is just a bunch of small, smart decisions. And yeah, I like what they're doing. I like what they're doing in Atlanta. All right, next one here, Jim Schwartz going to the Cleveland Browns, poking around, just asking people, you know, what do you think is the, the mindset behind this? A couple different things. I think they wanted a proven defensive coordinator. Yeah. So Sean Desai interviewed there. They interviewed a bunch of different people. It's the type of organization that I think they're going to see. If we can get 10 guys in here and ask every single one of them yeah. what their vision is, like I, I want to learn more about it. And I think maybe take an, maybe take an idea or two. Yeah, yes, <laughs> that's, that's correct. The other thing, that's the other part of that. <laughs> but Jim Schwartz has done this. You know, he's going to come yeah. in. I think personality was a consideration. You know, where yeah. Joe Woods is a little bit quieter, a little bit more laid back. I think Jim Schwartz is the opposite of that. Yes, he's and, the opposite. <laughs> and I think that there was oh, that was attractive. And also, you don't worry about switching up your fronts. Right. So if you bring in a Sean Desai, if you bring in a Brian Flores, it's just a very different thing stylistically compared to what they Mm -hmm. did with Woods over the last few years. And that shouldn't be the most important consideration. It should be a consideration when you have Miles Garrett on your football team. So I do think that his presence and what he's comfortable with informed the choice they made more than it might for other teams and other players. Yeah. And I, Jim Schwartz is a proven, he's a made man. 
in this league. Like Skins he, on the wall, for sure. Yes, and has shown that he can do it with different types of guys, but he always gets his guys to play hard, and it's another sound coach. And that's what I really like about this, especially a team that was getting gashed in the run game the last couple of years. Um, I remember him being more of a, of a single high guy, a lot of man, some cover three, um, spot drop cover three thrown in there as well. He'll do some funky invert stuff as change-ups, so he does have kind of some – other pitches in his bag, throw in some cover two. He'll spot drop, like I said. Low blitz guy in first and second down, which mm-hmm. I always think is interesting. He wants his front four to win, and that's what he likes to do. And then he'll bring in the occasional cover zero to heat up the quarterback. But it's kind of a traditional grab bag of coverages. I don't know how else to describe it, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Just the, the It's the classics. <laughs> uh, but the main thing that Jim Schwartz, what he is kind of known for, really, is the wide fronts. The wide nine that was really Eagles land. It was like the wide 11. Chris Long would be lined up way out, almost like over the slot and bringing his pin in his ears back, which I love with a guy like Miles Garrett totally. and also an Oboe Cronquill. Like those two, those are guys you want pinning their ears back and going. So here's my question. I totally agree with you. And then yep. they traded for Zadarius Smith last week. So how yep. do you think that fits in? Inside. He, yeah, so you just think yeah, he's like he plays that inside spinner role in some of those in some of those looks because yep. I because imagine like Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith on a twist yeah the game I mean I, I'm heat. very into that yeah, but I yeah. just he's not he doesn't play I mean when you look what he's done over the last few years he hasn't played in like traditional four man fronts the three teams he's played for he played for the Ravens he played mm-hmm. for the Packers and he played for the Vikings. Those teams right. don't play that way. So no. we just haven't seen him deployed yeah, in that sort of deployed. defense before. So that was kind I of think, my first thought. Because in my I mind, in, I was imagining him in like yeah. Jacksonville, right? Like it yeah, just, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, but yeah. this is a little bit different. But so that was what I, I think that makes total sense. Yeah. Some of those numbers that you were alluding to, the Eagles were, they blitzed on. 18.5% of their third downs in 2020. Jim Schwartz's last year there. That was 29th in the NFL. Yep. They played man on 37. They played cover one on 37.5% of early downs, which was a top three rate. It was the fourth highest mark mm-hmm. in the league. The Browns played man cover one on 12.6% of early downs last year, which was 25th in the NFL. Yeah, so that's, that's a the pretty, big change. That's a pretty significant <laughs> departure. The Zadarius yeah. Smith consideration makes me think about some of the stuff the Titans did. Where Harold Landry, stand, Harold Landry is standing up a little bit, you know mm-hmm, they're kind of mm-hmm. playing with the front is multiple, like that word that everyone always wants to use. Because yeah. Jim Schwartz was in Tennessee over the last couple yes. of years, and the mm-hmm. coverage menu in Tennessee is much, much different than mm-hmm. what Jim Schwartz did with the Eagles. They were almost seventy percent cover one and cover three on early downs when he was in Philadelphia last season. So quarters, right? And yes. Last season, no team ran more quarters on early downs than the Tennessee Titans. So I'm wondering, do, do we meet somewhere in the middle? Is there some of that influence on what the Titans mm-hmm. did over the last couple of years into how he's thinking about stuff now? Or do we get copy and paste from the 2020 Eagles? I don't know. Yeah. But I think I that, that's my main question as I looked at everything over the last day or so. No, it makes sense. And that that's what I mean. He can call it all. Like It's not like he's – I I've – Schwartz, I almost like think of more of his fronts than I think of his back end. Yeah, if that same. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and I, th- I don't think that's anything crazy because the back end was never very interesting. No, it was yeah. just it was very basic. I remember breaking them down before we played them in uh, 2017. I remember breaking them down, being like, "Okay, that wasn't like anything crazy." They did. I'm telling you about the invert stuff because it was like some third down change up invert stuff, and I remember that throwing me off. Like the the linebackers posted way deep and their safeties are coming up and uh, yada yada but that's a change up um but yeah like everything you laid out more of a single high guy but can run the other stuff as change ups and you, like you said you might meet in the middle i was thinking of the zadarius smith stuff too is because um oboe is not he's, he's mediocre against the run so maybe that he's is a, he's just not very yeah big. Yeah, but you you pay him to rush the passer, which he is good at. Uh, so I think that maybe you get some Zadarius out there, you know, to help shore that up. They can rotate snaps on the outside on base downs on first and second down, and then you get into the pass rush stuff in the third down. And his thing is everyone pin their ears back and go. That's why he doesn't blitz a lot. He thinks that I can create. It's what like the Forty ers and the Jets have kind of done the last couple of years. It's kind of the same kind of thought process. Yeah, with the Jets pin, last pin, year because they yeah two years ago they had to blitz this year. Yeah, yeah. last oh year they God, didn't blitz at all. Right, that's right. But just pin your ears back and go. We got enough talent. We'll just go, go, go. And then, like, that's their whole thing. They were, they originally were doing that to stop boot teams, um, mm-hmm. especially the Vikings and the NFC North at the time when Schwartz was with the Lions. And it was just, hey, 
run at the quarterback every single time. And that and then they just kind of adapted and added on to that. So I'm I'm glad Schwartz is back calling plays because I really respect him as a play caller and I think he's really good. I'm excited to see him on this Browns team because I think they have personnel that matches what he likes to do. On top of all he has all that speed stuff on the outside. Remember they had some beef in the middle too. So that's kinda, that's the consideration for me. That's the most important yeah. thing is that yeah. on top of you know there's gonna be some continuity in terms of the fronts, but like how is their run defense going to be better this year on top of this coaching change? is yeah. the players that they added. Like yeah. this is for after neglecting it for years, their biggest offseason splash was signing Dalvin Tomlinson. They used one of their third round picks on a huge nose tackle and yep. then they went out and signed two more edge they got two more edge rushers, signing yeah. Okoronko in free agency and then trading for Sedarius Smith. So yeah. they concentrated more on that position group this offseason than any other position group on the entire team and I think that was necessary. So we've it- seen a pretty dramatic shift there. And it lets them be multiple too, because naturally single high is better against the run just because you have another yeah. body in the box. So I think that'll help them out too. Not only just adding personnel, but schematically, but that's nice is what, why what the, the goal of defense is to play too high and rush with four. Everybody wants to do that. And the Browns were like, yeah, that's the meadow. Let's do it. And then it's like, oh, we don't have the horses <laughs> to do this. And we're getting plowed down the middle. So now they added twice. They added a guy that can run single high coverages to help it out with the bodies, but also adding the personnel and adding the beef in the middle. So I really liked what the Browns have done this offseason. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty high on them right now. So be a reminder, eight weeks into the year, I want to look at box count numbers for the Browns on early downs. And whether or not he wants to play more like the Titans did over the last couple of years where they could stop the run, but they were playing Mm -hmm. quarters on every single early down, or he plays more like he did in Philadelphia and how much he evolved and how much he's changed over the last couple of years. Because that's my main question. I think that there were a lot of Eagles fans that were frustrated with what Jim Schwartz was doing late in his time in Philadelphia because it was a little bit predictable. It was a little bit simple. But we've seen other guys who are longtime defensive coordinators in the league and whether it's a year away or they step away from being a coordinator for a little bit, they change their stripes. We saw that happen with Dan Quinn. We've seen it happen with a couple different coaches. So again, are we going to get the copy and paste 2022 Eagle or 2020 Eagles, or are we going to get a slightly modified version of that that's distilled through some of the ideas that they were incorporating in Tennessee over the last couple of years? I think it's a little modified. <laughs> that's my I, bet right now. I hope so, a, because I think that'd I be really too. interesting, and I think that'd be fun to watch. It's going to be a very interesting defense. and. Just wait for Miles Garrett got some help just from a coach and from the guys around him. So I think just wait to what he does this year. I mean, he's already a terror. I can imagine he's going to I think he's full like he's he's reaching his full his final form this year. (laughs) I think Miles Garrett, we're about to see. Oh, wow. This is a whole another level because of what the Browns have added this year. All right. Next one here. Vic Fangio. Goes to the Miami Dolphins, uh, a very well-compensated man. Now is Vic Fangio (laughs) heading to Miami. Uh, This one is absolutely fascinating because it's hard to imagine a bigger shift in some ways than going from Josh Boyer and the kind of echoes of that Brian Flores life to what Vic Fangio wants to do. Uh, My, the, the biggest difference for me if you yeah. the number that I think to me is the most informative. Last season, the Miami Dolphins used six or fewer guys in the box on 24% of their early downs. Okay? okay. That was 10 percentage points fewer than any other team in football. Everyone else was at least 34%. The Dolphins were at 24%. In 2021, the Broncos were at 54% on early downs. So you get 24%. Light boxes on early downs for Miami and 54% for the 2021 Broncos. You you can't really be further away mindset-wise than that. And that's just the first point. There are three or four more that you can make here. There's two teams we're going to talk about, and it's the opposite because where Flores went with the Vikings, which we'll talk about. Yes. But these are it's the yin and yang of each other. So a lot. So bear with me. A lot of these talking points are going to be the same because it's hilarious that these two teams basically flop schemes. Yeah. Uh, uh, my, my stat was the Broncos in 2021. They ran cover four, cover six, kind of the basis of Fangio's defense. Not a good one. But about 30% of the time, yep. a little over 30%. The Dolphins in 2022 ran cover four and cover six, 2% of the time, 2.3%. Dead last in the NFL, right? Yeah. 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 It was all yeah, man pressure and some cover too. Like it was just uh, Fangio ran more coverage than he ever has in 2021, and we kind of were thinking. I remember in the in the moment we we're like, oh, you know, maybe they didn't have the horses to do other other stuff, but they also had this guy named Patrick Sertain that I think he was going like, oh, this is a lot of fun. I'll I also just, think the man was driven in part by d- defense back injuries. 
Injuries, right? They were yeah. worried about continuity and communication. So it's just like, yeah, let's just play man. Fuck it. And yeah. so that the man coverage rates from the last time Fangio was a defensive coordinator it's a little are much warped. closer to what the Dolphins were. But those numbers, yeah. I think, are a little bit warped from where he would want to be in Correct. an ideal situation. I, I think I 100% agree. But I, I was kind of thinking it was interesting. I was like, maybe he was like, okay, this is actually fun to throw this in as a changeup because I do think there's some you know, of that. I, uh, I do but, think it's but, a but natural kind of changeup. We have this guy, Jalen Ramsey, who it's like, okay, well, we can kind of lean into that a little bit. Um, you know, and Fangio is not traditionally blitz heavy, um, especially on first and second down and couldn't be any more opposite <laughs> than what, uh, <coughs> Flores and Boyer have done the last couple of years. Uh, Dolphins blitz about twice as frequently on first and second down in 2022 than Fangio did in 2021. About the same rate on third and fourth down. But the blitzes are different as well. You know, Flores and Boyer love the cover zero stuff. Yep. They're, 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 they're Patriots guys. Man, cover zero, cover two as a changeup. And Fangio ran cover zero about half the rate in 2021, which is heavier than usual for him. But because probably what we said, the injuries and stuff, like might as well die quickly than die slowly kind of, kind of thinking. But that's going to be a huge, huge change because it's like 10% of the snaps. It's not like a small amount. It's a significant amount of cover zero. That would be a difference. So I think just coverage-wise, that's where you can see the biggest differences and which those are kind of the two metas right now and then NFL defensive coverages. So you're going from one to the other. And I don't know. Fangio's the best at it. So I'm excited to see him with this defense. How do you think personnel from that previous version of the Dolphins defense fits what Vic Fangio wants to do? Corner-wise, it's nice uh, for Howard and, and Ramsey. I would think through the middle, they don't have the blitz on rundowns, and it's kind of nice because of the guys they have. Not only uh, Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips kind of set in the edge, but just think up the middle. Christian Wilkins is going to be a, a fantastic in this defense. He was great last year. And then David Long to kind of clean up the mess behind that. So I think the spine is way better than what Fangio had with the Broncos. Yeah. Um, and, and I, way, I, way I keep mentioning him. I think Zach Sealer is a really good player. I really yeah. like him. If he's going to be your second interior defensive lineman, I think he's a really good player. Yeah. So I, I, I just think this, I, I, I like this. I think it's going to be good. Make a mix of soundness. Obviously it's Fangio. It's not like I'm out going on a limb here. Um, it makes a soundness and, but just good players. I just think that they'll, because they have good players that the whole point of the Fangio defense is that too high shell and then rotating, making the quarterback hold the ball for that extra half second. Yeah. But now he has some dudes and he has some guys that can take advantage of that both up front and in a DB room. So it's fun. It's going to be a well-coached unit with a, enough sprinkling of talent that I think it could be a really fun unit this year. For Jalen Ramsey, not a huge jump. It's the type of no. defense that he's played in over the last several years yeah, with Brandon Staley fun. coming over. And obviously, they ran the same sort of stuff last year with Raheem Morris. So that, not a huge transition. I also think it's a way to maybe preserve Xavier Howard a little bit. Not yeah. asking him to play on an island as much as he kind of creeps into his 30s. Do we see a better version of him than we've seen over the last couple he's of years? He's the cover two guy. The cover two side's him, and then you lock up Ramsey on the backside. Man, yeah. I I could see that. I could definitely see that. So I, I'm very excited about it. I mean, obviously, Vic Fangio is – and I'm you know what else I'm excited about? What comes next? Like the, the tweaks that he's going to have for this yes. particular group because that's what Vic Fangio has done such a good job of over the last decade. You know, every mm -hmm. single stop – it's a little bit different based on the players that he has. And that's why he stays relevant and stays great because it's not just copy paste. Other yep. people are trying to just copy paste older versions of the Vic Fangio defense and struggling yes. while he continues to stay one step ahead. So I can't wait to see how he again it's distills the ideas or filters the ideas through these players. It's the same Shanahan Rosetta Stone line yes. that Fangio has the Rosetta Stone. Everyone else tries to translate it. and But he has that Rosetta Stone that can do that. It's, it's going to be great. I, I Not only like you're saying, Fangio is also a, a football junkie. And that's why everyone's like, I don't know if he'll be a good head coach because he's too much of a coach, like compliment and a diss kind of. Uh, but I'm sure he took that year, like this past year, is he's just been, I'm sure he's doing plenty of research. So I don't he's I hanging out with the Eagles. He's going to hit the ground running. Yep. I'm sure that there was a ton of learning going oh, yeah. on there and working with Jonathan Gannon and being, you know, in, in those rooms for a little bit, being like, I'm sure he was technically a consultant, but he spent a lot of time yeah. with the Eagles last year. Oh, I'm sure. Also, the other thing, too, is that uh, because it's more of a bend but don't break defense, it's going to be a little bit – there's not going to be as many gashes allowed no. like like what the Dolphins kind of gave up. There will probably be fewer TFLs or run stop, stops uh, – stuffs, I'm sorry, but fewer explosive plays given up in the run game, which I'm sure some Dolphins fans will be, be, be happy to hear about. 
couple notes on the staff. Ronaldo Hill is coming over as his passing game coordinator. Right. Ronaldo was the defensive coordinator for the Chargers over the last couple of years. Um, they kind of promoted Tommy Donatel to be that guy for them, and then Ronaldo went over to work with Vic, and so he knows the defense very fluent in it. They work together in Denver, so your passing game coordinator is someone that essentially is a Vic Fangio guy. Right. And then their safeties coach was actually a quality control coach for the Eagles last year, where Vic Fangio was consulting. He was at John Carroll in 2016, which is the, or 2017, which is the year after Brandon Staley left. So I have to assume that there's some, Some, yeah. Hey, check out this guy. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, but again, we got two major pieces of the secondary staff that, are fluent in these ideas. They're not. He's yeah. not trying to teach guys that are already intact. And there are some of these staffs where there hasn't been a ton of turnover. Like my, you look at Minnesota staff, the team we're going to talk about next. They have a lot of their same position coaches. It's, it's just I that know, Brian that, Flores is there, which is kind of crazy. My mind, actually, yeah. yeah, that actually blew my mind. Like I, when I looked at it, I was expecting to see a bunch of new names. I'm like, I, I thought I had an old. Uh, same. Like page. I felt the exact same way. <laughs> and they, and that's not what happened at all. So let's talk about yeah. Brian Flores. I, yeah. Essentially the inverse of what we just talked about, right? Exactly. I mean, it's so where do you want to start? Oh man. Uh I mean, it's like I I don't know where to start. I okay, I don't want all those like blitz rates and everything, it's basically the opposite. So I don't want to like dive too much into it. So like, you know, like Dolphins ran cover zero twelve percent of the time in twenty twenty one. They the Vikings ran cover zero one percent of the time in twenty twenty two. Like that's one one instance right there. Man coverage, dolphins way higher, almost double the rate, more than double the rate. Um, that two high shell stuff, Vikings ran it 45% of the time. Uh, Dolphins ran it 12% of the time in 2021. So it's like, it's again, it's the inverse of what we were just talking about. What I do want to talk about, and this is what I think is the most curious, is how he uses the DBs. Um, he's a, Flores likes his DBs. He's a Belichick guy. They like their dime personnel. And I don't want to say like, oh, the Vikings didn't do it last year because they didn't want to do it. You just didn't they, had injuries. They also like had to get their best guys out there. So you never know with that. But I do think this is a really interesting group the Vikings have. And that's why I'm curious how Flores depo- deploys them. So I don't know if this is it's fun for me. This is fun for me. Uh, like they drafted Andrew Booth and Lewis Seen last year. Hopefully they're healthy. That's a corner and a safety. But then they still have Cam, uh, Cameron Byron, Bynum and Harrison Smith. They drafted Jay Ward from LSU. They uh, signed Byron Murphy. All these guys, not all of them, but most of them have slot versatility and have some of that Swiss Army knife to their game. Harrison Smith plays near the line of scrimmage a lot of times under Zimmer. Uh, so I think that's what's going to be really cool. I want to see how he uses those guys yeah. and how, who he puts in the box. The safeties is, is my main question. Is like how Because, again, they define what they want to be. They declare what they want to be before the snap. This isn't a team oh, yeah. that's playing a lot of two high shells where the safeties are kind of interchangeable. One guy is going to play down in the box more. Is that yep. the best role for Harrison Smith at this point in his career? Maybe. Right. Maybe that is the right answer. And then at corner, the Andrew Booth thing I think is interesting because this is actually the defense he probably fits better in than yep. what Minnesota had yes. been doing. Like he had yep. man coverage traits when he played at Clemson. If you go back and look at Dane's draft report on him, Dane said like he fits best in a man heavy system. Oh yeah. So that long arms <laughs> and physical. Like and he yep. so and so his this transition actually fits him, I think, pretty well. The one guy where it's like, ah, I wonder I wonder why they wanted him was Byron Murphy. Because yeah. Byron Murphy hasn't been great in man coverage, and the Cardinals haven't played a lot of man coverage. The Cardinals blitz a lot, yeah, but the Cardinals play a lot of zone behind yeah. those blitzes. So that's the one where I was like, huh. Yeah. I wonder why. I wonder yeah. I wonder why that was the guy in the secondary they wanted to go after in free agency. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I, I don't either. And or like like because I thought for sure they'd lock to draft a corner in the first round. And then and they, they went receiver, which was fine, but it was just one of those where, oh, okay. So you are going with Murphy. Okay. All right. Like you're going, like you're using him, like you're expecting him to be a lot for him. But why this is significant though, is like, you have to get these guys on the field. The Dolphins were in dime 30% of their snaps, 31% of their snaps in 2021. The Vikings were in dime 1% of their snaps in 2022. So yes, they added some horses, but you know, it's, a gr- it's-, it's a great point. I mean, because you wonder like, how are all these guys going to get on the field? They drafted Makai Blackman, drafted Blackman, Jay Ward, yes. and I think it's just we're seeing a lot more DBs. We're going to see a lot more bodies at that position just on the field at the same time. I beyond the schematic stuff, yeah, I think that the shift to Brian Flores is an expression from Kevin O'Connell that it's more about who's calling the plays than what mm-hmm. the scheme is. 
I think that was the lesson that they learned a little bit in Minnesota last year is that saying, I want this scheme and having the scheme not call to the level it needs to be makes the scheme you run fairly irrelevant. I was listening to the press conference that Brian Flores and Kevin O'Connell did after the hiring. And Kevin O'Connell was saying that they're in alignment on the way they see the game and the mindset. And it's about like money downs and about how you apply pressure, not just blitzing, yeah. but like pressure in a more nebulous sense yeah. on money downs. And I think the hiring a guy like Brian Flores is a declaration that we just wanted the best defensive play caller. It doesn't yeah. matter if the scheme was far flung from what we were doing before. We want someone who is going to make the game harder on the teams that we're playing against consistently, even if it is a very big departure from what we were and the scheme we might want in a vacuum. And I think that's really interesting. I do too. It's the complete opposite. It's last year. I mean, the Daniel Jones game against the against the Vikings, where he was just sitting in the pocket and just dicing them because he could just he knew exactly what coverage it was, was coming. Pass, every it was time. passive. It, passive, it was yes. passive, and yes. this is the opposite of passive. It, yeah. One of the reporters it's, there, I, I, I might have been Ben Gosling. I, I just listened to the voices. Was asking if they were going to do the same sort of stuff they did in Miami. It's like, are you, you, know, you blitzed a lot. You played a lot of man coverage, and of course, they're not going to give it away. No, but Flores kind of like doing everything he could to not give it away. Was like, I- I'm aggressive. I'm, I'm going to be, yeah. I'm going to be aggressive. So it wasn't a, not even trying to really veil it. Like, no, I'm going to do a lot of the same shit. Like that's just who I am, and I love that. I do too because it's that's why I've always liked Spags. It's just hey, make a mistake, at least make it fast. Yeah, you know, and that's I'd almost rather live that way. As I'm, again, I'm an offensive guy, so maybe that's why I just prefer because I'm like because you can gash it, but it's also you can get gashed quickly. And when you don't uh, have the horses, yes, it's a better, better way to play. And way better. So for the 2023 Vikings, they picked Jordan Addison in the first round. I think the ideal version of this team is. We're really good on offense. Yeah. Like we are like a top eight offense. We have no real holes within this unit. Our offensive line is young, ascending. The quarterback is good enough if we put him in the right spots. We learned a lot after trading for Hawkinson last year. You know, we, this is year one. We didn't really figure out exactly what we wanted to be. Some trial and error. This is the year where it really clicks into place on that side of the ball. We just need to cause some problems occasionally yes. on the other side of the ball. I yep. think it makes a lot of sense. It's the it's the analogy we say with the pressing the pressing defense of basketball. Hey, hey, we're gonna score a bunch of points and we're gonna press you all game. Yeah, you'll gash us sometimes, but we'll go on runs. Yep. We'll go on all of a sudden that you touchdown, turnover, touchdown, turnover. And it's like, oh my god, they just scored fourteen points in two minutes. That's what they're going for. It's a shitload more fun, man. If I were a Vikings Way fan, fun. I would just be excited about watching a different style, a different mindset. Yep. And it, it is funny that they because offenses always are attacking, right? Uh, the always. offensive mindset is always to be aggressive in attacking. So having a defensive – and I understand why people want the Fangio system because you're limiting explosive plays mm-hmm. and you that's uh, – it's hard to play against. In the best yeah. version of it, it's hard to play against. But when it becomes really passive and they're running so much quarters and so much cover six, yes. even compared to those Rams teams that Kevin O'Connell was a part of, the structure of it can be the same when you're not calling it the right way. The results yep. can be frustrating. And I think yep. that is the lesson of the 2022 Vikings defense. Browns, Packers, and Vikings defenses all kind of went through the same thing. Yeah. And Chargers defense, but the Chargers defense, and credit to Brandon Staley, was that metamor- metamorphosis that they went through through last year. That was the difference. Why the Chargers really picked it up in the second half of the year is they went, all right, enough of that. We got to change up what we're yeah. doing because we don't have the horses. I know we keep using that term, but it's a real thing. Uh, I think just Vikings fans, if I had one, maybe it's a two-part stat. And I already talked about the blitz rate and stuff. The Dolphins of 2021 had the second highest blitz rate over the past two seasons, only behind Wink Martindale last year with the Giants. So they blitzed more in 2021 than the Ravens did in 2021. The Vikings were at 21%, which is 5% below the league average. So that's your difference right there. Cover zero is going from one percent to twelve percent, which was the highest rate the past two years. So it's gonna you're gonna see some fireworks uh, for for the defense and for the opposing team's offense. But I think it's gonna be a lot more fun to watch. Outside of coverage, again, the same sort of inverse that we were talking about with the light boxes. The Vikings were at sixty two point three four percent of their snaps. They had six or fewer guys in the box last year. That's second. It was the second highest rate mm-hmm. in the NFL. Brian Flores is. Dal- Dolphins from 2019 to 2021, 37% of their snaps with six or fewer guys in the box. That was 31st in the NFL. So we're going from 62% potentially to 37% potentially. 
it's hilarious that these two teams it was just it's awesome it's it's awesome it's it's cool it's it's really nice because you get some uh get to actually see it's like test tubes i actually get to see what the results are going to be now that these coaches are plopped in it's gonna be fun all right last one here and this one the exact opposite of what we were talking about with these last couple teams continuity in some aspects like they wanted to maintain some similar to jim schwartz going to to cleveland right steve wilkes comes in as the niners defensive coordinator because i I can't hire a guy who's going to make nick bosa stand up and drop into coverage every once in a while like four down let's get after it that's what steve wilkes has been and so we're going to see you know a different version of the niners defense but i think they want to carry over a lot of the same ideas a lot of the same mentality that they've had under D'Amico ryan's and robert Sala before that yeah, not too much of a coverage change. Like I yeah. remember Wilkes with Carolina more specifically, and he was under Sean McDermott. He was the DB coach for a while there, and that's how I kind of remember quarters and cover three. And guess who ran a lot of quarters and cover three last year? The 49ers. Like the it was pretty much very similar rates. Um, I think Wilkes can handle any other components. This is a lot like what we we're talking about with Schwartz. If you did want if there were some change ups like cover two or cover zero. He's had experience doing that stuff. So it's not like, oh, well, no, that's not my scheme. He's an NFL defensive coordinator. And I mean that complimentary. <laughs> I mean that in a good way. Like he, he can do it all. Um, so I don't think it's too much of a drastic change. I think it, I think just the mandate is, Hey, let the front four go. Yeah. <laughs> but let well, them go. That's, to work. I think, a big consideration because yeah. he has blitzed a lot. Top four blitz rate at each of his past three stops as a defensive play caller in the NFL. They blitzed a lot in Carolina. They blitzed a lot in. Arizona, they blitzed a lot in Cleveland when he's had those jobs. The Niners haven't been in the bottom of the league, but they've been in the middle and closer yeah. to the bottom than the top. So does is that a part of Steve Wilkes' DNA? Or is he just gonna is he gonna blitz a bunch just because that's what he does? Or with that Niners front, is he gonna say, eh, yeah. it might not be necessary? And is Kyle Shanahan gonna say, why don't you tone it back a little bit? Right. So I wonder what this version of the Steve Wilkes defense looks like because maybe he doesn't have to do as much. Yeah, I think it. I think that's where it's that's his changeup because that's what's even um, uh, D'Amico Ryan's, especially remember the twenty twenty one playoffs against the Cowboys when he just he put Kellen Moore and Dak Prescott in the Lion Tamer, like <laughs> it, uh, it was, and and the Packers the following week and just running all this funky stuff. He had it in his bag, but he just realized I don't have to do this unless it's you know big games and big moments, which is the playoffs sprinkled it in last year. And I think that's going to be the same. How Wilkes is it's like, well, so you have a couple each game, you know, throw one in, change it up, manipulate the defense or manipulate the quarterback a little bit more. The stat I had was the Panthers did blitz more than the 49ers on first and second down, <laughs> but the 49ers had uh 41 more QB knockdowns despite blitzing at like a 10% fewer rate, something crazy like that. So it's like, yeah, that's why that's exactly why you want to just rush for us because they, it's a lot more productive that way. The Niners don't do a ton, didn't do a ton of crazy stuff last year, but all the little wrinkles and all the little tweaks were yeah. always so well timed. Mm-hmm. They always made sense, and that's just one of those things where sometimes it's hard when you're watching Brian Flores' defense at its best. It's easy to understand why Brian Flores is a good defensive coordinator. Yeah, when you're watching the Niners at their best, and it's not just the front four getting home. What makes D'Amico Ryan's really good at this is subtler. So I think understanding the differences between these guys, and if there's a moment in week seven where the Niners defense is struggling, it's just like, why is it struggling? They're doing a lot of the same stuff. Like they're running the same sorts of coverages. And if you look at the percentages, it's the same. They're blitzing about the same amount. Why isn't the Niners defense as good? And I think it's those little tiny wrinkles and tweaks and change-ups that sometimes are hard to notice that are going to be really important to recognize here. The changes aren't overt. They're not going to be obvious. So I think understanding those little nuances as the season goes on, it's going to be important to keep an eye on that stuff. Yeah, it's little stuff. Like This is where coaching comes into play. It's not just on game day. It's throughout the week. And telling them, filtering down all the film that you watch, much like kind of like what we do. I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back, but what we do, we watch a bunch of games and we try to distill it down to like, hey, what's interesting for five points on a podcast? They do that for their players. Here's a cut up of all the third downs. We think they have this tendency, so this is why we're calling this. When we do this play, rotate late. But you watch that 49ers defense, especially the last couple of years under Ryan's. It was everybody. It was a hive mind. Everybody yes. was flying to the ball. Everybody pre-snap was bumping at the exact same time or hiding stuff pre-snap. So like you're saying, and I agree with that, is – That'll be the difference is those little subtler, subtler things and little little tiny details. And we'll see, you know, Wilkes has had some stuff before. So we'll just see if, you know, if he go, if he can handle this Ferrari that he's about to be given in uh, San Francisco or Santa Clara, I should call him. The Niners did have, you know, some coaching turnover 
So Corey Unlin, who I think was the defensive, was the uh, passing game coordinator for the Niners and their secondary coach over the last two years, he went with D'Amico Ryans to be the passing game coordinator for the Texans. So one of those kind of higher ranking guys that oversaw that aspect is gone. They didn't really bring anyone new in based on how I'm looking at it. Daniel Bullock, who was the safeties coach, is now just the defensive backs coach. Johnny Holland is still the linebackers coach. Chris Sirk obviously is the defensive line coach. So I'm sure, I'm sure, like he's wrapped yes. up. Like they chained him to the to the table and gave him a whole bunch of money. I, I wonder <laughs> if you I, stay here. <laughs> I, I always, I never, I'm, I always hesitate to say stuff like this because who knows? Like maybe he he does have these sort of aspirations. But every time I've either talked to him or heard about him, he just kind of seems like one of those guys just like oh, i'm good like i want right. you to pay me a lot to be the defensive line coach but like i just really like doing this and i'm really good at this i'm sure he's gotten a raise or two over the last oh, yeah. few years as he's worked in oh, san yeah. francisco but there's some of these guys who like like jeff stoutland is like this like yeah yep. if you pay me like five million bucks a year like i'm good like i i, yep. I just like i'll do it's, this for the rest of the time if you want it's like late career bill callahan he and dante scarnecchio like those guys are just like yeah oh line coach yeah good good what's my race okay sweet Sweet, this is great. I got tenure. <laughs> that, that's exactly it. There's not nothing wrong with that. Not nothing wrong with that type of like life and career, especially if you're really, really good at what you do. Okay, so Nick Sorensen oh. is uh, now the defensive passing game specialist and Nichols coach. He came over from Jacksonville, so that's like one other little tweak on the staff. I recognize that name. Yeah. So that's really it, though. I mean, it's for the most part, they have a lot of the same assistants in place, and I, that's what they wanted. They, they wanted yeah. to really tap into the same thing, but bring in a guy who has called it before, who's had some success as a defensive coordinator. You know, Steve Wilkes did a really good job in Carolina last year. He did. Keeping that team together and you know, just culture-wise and being a leader and all that kind of stuff. Like He's the type of guy I think that would be a positive influence on any building he was going to come into as a defensive coordinator, and the fact that there is some overlap schematically with what they were already doing I think is a bonus for the Niners. That's what makes me feel better about this transition more than most that usually would happen is that it's not, we're not, you're not asking him to square peg round hole. It. No, it's a lot of stuff that he's done before. It's just do it the 49er way. So, but I, I'm totally fine with that type of transition. I, that's all we got. Sweet. Only five defensive coordinators. Wait, wait till we do the two part play offensive play caller show that we're going to do in July and August, which is coming, there's by a, the way. We are going to do 11 that. of them, I think. Oh and my God. We are going just, to do that. So yeah. that is coming a little bit later in the summer, but this was fun. I'm, I'm glad we got to talk this about great. this stuff because we really had missed some of these and hadn't gotten to talk yeah. about them at length in any forum before this. So that the Falcons one, one was a lot of fun because yeah. I hadn't focused it. I've been so obsessed with what they're doing on offense. It was kind of nice to take a deep breath and look at their defense for and, once. And the Vikings. Vikings, uh, the Vikings Dolphins, Dolphins flip is just I again I hadn't really thought about it in those terms before, but when you start looking at the numbers, it's like oh I can just flip all these. This is great. So swing swinger schemes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, that's all we got. Uh we will be back on Monday with our next mailbag. Until then, really appreciate you guys listening. Please enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you later. This was the Athletic Football Show.